Hello everyone. Welcome back to session two of our study of Colossians. I'm so glad you're here as we continue to learn more about the supremacy of Christ and how we can find complete fulfillment in Him through our relationship with Him. As you remember from last time, in chapter 1, we began the letter with Paul encouraging the Colossians for their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for the fellow believers. And it mentions that they gained this faith and love for the believers and their faith in Jesus Christ because of their hope that was laid up for them in heaven and because of the gospel message that they had heard. Now, the gospel message is simple, right? It is that Jesus is God's son, that he lived a perfect life. He died as an atoning sacrifice for your sins and mine, and that he now sits at the right hand of the Father. He was also resurrected by God on the third day. And because of this, we can have forgiveness of sins and atonement and eternal life with Jesus Christ. So we know that as if we believe in this gospel message, just as the Colossian church did, that we receive an inheritance, an inheritance from God of eternal life. And we can participate in this just as the Colossian church did. And so God, uh, excuse me, Paul goes on to say in verse 9 of chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 13. And he goes on to say, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, in verse 9, Paul tells us that we have not ceased to pray for you. And again, he mentions prayer back in, in verse 3 when he says that we always thank God the Father. So he's always praying. So clearly, Paul puts a great importance on the value of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us that we should pray without ceasing. So why is prayer so important for the believer? Why should such a high value be put on prayer? Well, I believe there are four reasons why prayer is important in the life of a Christian believer. First of all, it focuses our intention on what God on what's truly important in life. You see, when, when we bring a need before the Lord, we are recognizing his supremacy. We're putting him in 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 authority. We're realizing that whatever it is that we're bringing before the Lord, that we don't have the capacity to accomplish it. And when we bring it to God, we're, we're acknowledging the fact that he is supreme, that he does have the power. He does have the capacity to accomplish whatever it is that we're bringing to him. It focuses on our attention on the fact that we are not the end all be all of our existence, that God is, and we're acknowledging his power in the midst of it. Another reason why prayer is important is because it makes us a part of what God is doing. Have you ever prayed for someone that you didn't know? Have you ever prayed for a stranger who might live across on the other side of the world? And then when God grants that request, 
you feel joyful, don't you? We go before the Lord and we praise him because, because he granted that request. Even though we don't even know the person that God was working with, we don't even, aren't even involved in the circumstances under which this person is suffering. However, because we brought their, their request to the Lord, we can participate in the victory. We can participate in what God was doing in their lives because we brought them to the Lord ourselves. Prayer is also a means by which we receive God's blessings. Don't you enjoy spending time with the one that you love? Prayer is a way that God blesses us when we bring a request to him. He blesses us through that. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who, who knocks, the door will be opened. God wants us to ask him for things. Now we know that we don't always get everything we ask for, right? No good father was going to give his child everything that he asks for, right? Because not everything a child asks for is good for him or healthy. And God is that good father. So of course he doesn't give us everything that we ask for, but he is clear in his word that he wants a relationship with us and he wants us to ask. Finally, prayer is communion with God. It is fellowship. It is fellowship with our loving Father. It is relationship. Spending time with God is like spending time with the person that you love. It grows us more in tune with his will, and it grows us in a deeper relationship with him. And notice what Paul is praying for when he prays for the Colossian church. It says that he's praying that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul here is praying for spiritual things, not physical things. And again, in verse 3, he also prays for the Colossian church, and it says that he's thanking God for their faith and for their love. Again, his focus is on the spiritual needs of the Colossian church. So why are spiritual things so important? Why is Paul focusing on the spiritual needs and not physical needs? Well, that's because our physical selves are more important than our, um, excuse me, our spiritual selves, <laughs> not our physical selves. It's our, it's our spiritual selves that is most important. Our spiritual lives are more important than our physical lives. Matthew 18, 8 through 9 says clearly, it says that if, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, throw it, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. It says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. So clearly we can get into heaven with a broken body but we cannot enter heaven with a broken spirit. And if we have not put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we have not confessed Jesus, then our spirits are broken. So Paul goes on to say that he's praying that they be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now he, he's praying that God will fill the Colossians with the knowledge of his will. Now it's important to note here that this word fill and the original Greek language is plero, which means a filling out to completeness. 
And the word in the original Greek for knowledge is epignosis, which means a full and deep understanding. So God wants us to be filled and he wants us to be complete. So there are two important points to be made here about being filled with the knowledge of his will. First is the fact that God wants to be known. He wants us to know him. Ephesians 5.17 says, Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. John 15.15 says, Jesus is saying, Everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So the Father of the universe, the creator of everything, wants to know you personally, and he wants to be known. And not only does he want you to know him, he has a plan for you because he wants us to know what his will is, which means that he has a will for us. He has a plan for every believer, and his plan for us is good. Jeremiah 29 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future, plans to give you a hope. So his plan for us is good, and he wants us to know what that plan is. Now, you may be thinking, okay, this sounds great. I'd love to know what God's will for my life is, but how do I go about doing that? Well, I'm glad you asked because it tells us later on in this verse, it says not only does he want us to be filled with the knowledge of his will, but it's in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So if you want to know what the will of God is for your life, you can find out through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now the next logical question would be, okay, how do I gain spiritual wisdom and understanding? Well, James 1.5 tells us, James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. So if you want to know what God's will is, ask him, pray, seek his face and ask him what his will is. And if you also want to know about understanding and you'd like to learn and gain an understanding about what the will of God is, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable. It is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So here it says that scripture teaches us. Scripture gives us understanding. Scripture gives us correction and reproof. So that is where we go to gain understanding. So if you want to know what God's will is for your life, if you're feeling like there's something lacking in your life, if you're feeling a little bit unfulfilled right now, then find out what God's will is. Go to him in prayer. And go to him in scripture and discover what his plan, his full and complete plan is for your life. And when we begin to realize what God's plan is for our life, we have to understand that there's a purpose in everything God does. He doesn't want you to just grow in knowledge and grow in understanding just so we'll have a bunch of facts and figures stored up in our head about God. That's not what his plan is. There's a reason for everything that he does. So if he gives us a will and he gives us a plan for our lives, there's a reason why. And the reason why he has a plan for us, the reason why he wants us to grow in our understanding of God is so we can accomplish what it says in verse 10, so that we can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him so that we can bear fruit in every good work. 
so that we can increase in the knowledge of God. And in verse 11, so we can be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. God wants us to have a life that is worthwhile. Nobody wants to live a life of uselessness, right? Nobody wants to live a life of no worth. Everybody wants our our life to be value, right? We all want to be useful. We all want to have a worthwhile life. God understands that. And he knows the best way to go about it. And so he tells us that living a life worthy of the Lord will, will be through bearing good fruit, bearing good fruit in good works. And so we have to be really careful here, though, to make sure that we don't misunderstand what that phrase means, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, because he's not saying that we somehow have to measure up, that we somehow have to earn his favor by doing good works or somehow earn his acceptance through doing good works. That's not what he's saying here. He, it means the original Greek word, actually, for this word, word worthy means of equal weight, which means our life should reflect what we've been given. Think about it this way. Think about um, if you had received an inheritance. Pretend you've received an inheritance of $2 million. And you take that money and you go to the backyard, you dig a hole, and you put the money in the hole, you cover it up, and you never give it a second thought. You go about your life, just as if nothing had ever happened. That would be crazy, right? That would be ludicrous. Imagine all the good things you could do with that money. Imagine how you could invest it. Imagine all the good deeds you could do. Imagine all the people you could help. But 1 Peter 1.4 says that as Christians, we have been given a much greater inheritance. We have been given an inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, or never fade. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. So we have to ask ourselves, just as if we had won $2 million, I guarantee you that if we had received an inheritance of $2 million, our lives would look a lot different, wouldn't they? And so as Christians, we've been given an inheritance far greater than that. We've been given an inheritance of heaven. We've been given the inheritance of eternal life. We've been given the inheritance of life in the future in heaven where there are no tears, no pain, no suffering. We have been given life with Jesus Christ. We have access to the creator of the universe. We can speak to him and go to him whenever we want. He is always waiting to hear from us. There is no greater news than that. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, do our lives truly reflect what we have been given? And so that is how we live a life that is worthy to the Lord that our lives will truly reflect the gift, the greatest gift that we have been given. So God wants us to be complete. He wants us to be complete in body, in mind, and in spirit. He wants us to be complete in body by bearing fruit and good works. He wants us to be complete in mind by growing in the knowledge of God. And he wants us to be strengthened in our spirits with spiritual power, the complete package. Because if we're strengthened in our bodies by doing those good deeds, and we're strengthened in our minds by learning more about God, and we're strengthened in our spirits by his power and might, then that is going to translate to something. That's going to translate to endurance, to patience, and to joy, as it says at the end of verse 11. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure God understands. I know God understands and I know you and I understand that, that living all of this out, living a life that is grounded in God's will, living a life of bearing fruit and growing in spiritual wisdom and growing in his knowledge and being strengthened with his power, that is not an easy thing to do. It is not easy to live like a Christian. It is not easy to follow Christ. God understands that. And you and I both know that because when we become Christians, we get three enemies. The minute we become Christians, we inherit three enemies, our flesh, the world, and Satan. Our flesh tells us to do what you want. Our flesh tells us do what feels good. Gratify your desire at any cost. The world. You and I both know that the world is growing less and less tolerant of the Christian viewpoint. Our freedoms are growing smaller every day. And finally, Satan himself. First Peter is clear when he talks about Satan being a prowling lion, prowling around, seeking whom he can devour. Satan doesn't just want to hurt you. He doesn't just want to make you stumble. He wants to annihilate you. He wants to destroy you. And so God knows that it's difficult for us living as as Christians in this world. So that is why he gives us endurance, patience, and joy. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking, okay, sure, joy. I'll be glad to have some joy. I could use a good dose of joy, but I'm not so sure about endurance and patience. Uh, I could probably do without that because, as you know, oftentimes when Christians uh, desire endurance and patience, it can also um, sometimes come at a cost. (laughs) It can sometimes invite difficulty in our lives. But see, God knows that that those are the exact three things that we need the most when crisis comes, endurance, patience, and joy. Because as a Christian, as we all know, crisis is definitely going to come our way. And so God knows that the three things we need the most when crisis hits is endurance, patience, and joy. Because think about it. What is your first reaction when crisis comes your way? Sometimes we want to just freeze, right? We want to freeze where we are. We don't want to move forward. We don't want to move back. We just want to stay where we are and just pray for it to pass. Sometimes when crisis hits, we want to turn around and run the other way. We want to back up, go back the way we came, go back to a time before the crisis even was there. Sometimes when trouble comes our way, we want to hide, right? We want to pull the covers over our head. We want to withdraw from the world and pretend like nothing is even going on. But see, endurance tells us that we can move forward. Endurance tells us that we can take the next step. Even though a tornado is swirling around us, endurance tells us we can keep moving forward. Why? Because we know that we are not alone in that tornado. We have a comforter to be with us in that tornado. And we have a guide who is going to lead us out of it, Jesus Christ. And so endurance tells us we can move forward because we are not alone. Oftentimes when trouble comes our way, we get frustrated, right? Frustration always comes with crisis. We get frustrated with ourselves because we can't figure out a way out of it. We become frustrated with ourselves because maybe we were the cause of it. We can become frustrated with other people because maybe it's the other person's fault that we're in the middle of trouble. Or maybe just seeing the other person is a trigger 
They, they, it reminds me of the, of the difficulty that I'm going through. And sometimes we can be frustrated with God. Why are you doing this, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why don't you get me out of this? So frustration is a natural part of difficulty, but patience, patience tells us that we can be at peace. Patience tells us that we can be at peace with ourselves. We can be at peace with others and we can be at peace with God because patience tells us to take a deep breath, to calm down and to wait. Patience tells us that God is at work and we can wait for his rescue, that he is there, he has not forgotten us, and he is going to help us through it. Patience gives us the ability to wait, to see what God is going to do. And finally, one of the first things that is stolen from us when trouble comes our way is joy, right? I mean, nobody is happy when trouble comes. Nobody is happy through catastrophe. But this verse tells us that we can be joyful. How is it? How is it that a Christian can be joyful in the midst of such tragedy and difficulty? Well, because of what verse 12 says, and because of what verse 13 and 14 say, because for the Christian, we realize that whatever difficulty we face, that it is only temporary. We know that just as We know that just as Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is not here, our citizenship is in heaven. This is not our home. This is not where our destination lies. This is not all there is. That whatever it is we're going through, it will pass. And we have been delivered, verse 13 says, we've been delivered from a domain of darkness. That is where we were before we became saved, before we had a relationship with Jesus. We were in a domain of darkness and he transferred us. He transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. We've been transferred into Jesus' kingdom. And someday we will spend eternity with him where there will be no pain. There will be no loss. Things will be set right. There will be no more tears. There will be no more suffering. We know and we can be confident that that is what our future holds. And because of that, we can be joyful. We can give thanks to the Father because we know where our future lies. And whatever pain that we have, it is only temporary. And finally, in verse 14, it says, In whom, meaning in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if you're thinking about, you know, yeah, I'm going through a really difficult time right now, and it's all my fault, and my life is over, and that's all there is, I'm done. Take heart today. Because no matter what it is that you have done, there is always forgiveness with Jesus. There is always forgiveness with Jesus. He will always be there and he will always forgive you. There is no catastrophe that is too big. There is no sin that is too great that is going to cut you off from his love. So if we go to him and and realize the redemption that we have from him, realize the forgiveness that we have for him, and return to him in faith and love, we will be forgiven. And I don't know about you, but that is surely great news. So we're going to end our time right there. I hope you enjoyed as much from this, enjoyed this as much as I have, and I hope you've learned as much as I have. And I'd like to leave us with a challenge. I'd like to leave us with a challenge this week. And I'd like for us to challenge ourselves this week to pray. 
to pray specifically for wisdom, for the wisdom to know God's will and to live it out. And that God, we will make, we will live out God's will with endurance and patience and joy. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to our time together again. Thank you.